Hello and welcome to Walking With Purpose, a podcast where we engage in real, in-depth, comprehensive conversations and discussions regarding social issues, interpersonal relationships, marriage, dating relationships, and pretty much anything that moves us. We speak our truth, we stand on the truth as we share our real-life experiences, our struggles, our triumphs, and the lessons that we've learned. I'm Chris. I'm joined today by... Santana. Yeah. Our topic today is uncomfortable moments that test your character. Character defined is the way someone thinks, feels, and behaves. Uh, And it also includes your beliefs, your values, your integrity, your honor, your reputation, your self-control, uh, or character is a group of qualities or traits that uh, make up a person. For me, uncomfortable moments test your character, your strength, and your resilience. Uncomfortable moments can either break your soul, break your spirit, or break your resolve. Uh, the world we live in is heavily flawed. I feel its moral compass is off. We're inundated with news of Crime, corruption, racism, droughts, global warming, inflation, road rage, mass shootings, and serial killers. How do we handle the chaos around us and try to live our best life? Uncomfortable moments can test your mental resolve and your intestinal fortitude. I look at life as a navigational maze filled with pivots obstacles, roadblocks, dead ends, victories, and triumphs. Uncomfortable moments test your personality and your disposition. Uncomfortable moments can dictate how you think, speak, and act. I've had a lot of uncomfortable moments where I acted out of character, where I lost control, where I even folded like a deck of cards where I ran into roadblocks and dead ends. I had some uncomfortable moments where I was also proud of how I handled myself. Uncomfortable moments can definitely and will definitely test your character. So describe an uncomfortable moment where your character was tested and where you are proud of how you handled yourself. Okay, so um, I've had several of those moments that tested me, most definitely. Um, I think the one, the biggest uncomfortable um, situation that I've had to deal with was one that happened to me at work. Um, We were being supervised by what I call a workplace bully. and. I don't know if everybody's been through this, and this this was my first time in all the years of working that I 
was enduring this, um, it got so bad at work that you could cut the tension with a knife in the room. We were all, all of us collectively, what it was there, one, two, three, about five of us dealing with him. He was in charge of our area and um, we were being treated like children, really. They, they, we, you know, you get cubicles, right, to sit in. And all of us had, um, our cubicle walls were past our heads. And most of that is for noise control. Because when you're all having conversations on the phone or whatever, it cuts into other people's areas. Well, I mean, they were chopping at us and chopping at us and chopping at us to the point where they finally took down the walls and gave us these little half walls. So if my coworker sitting across from me was having a regular conversation on the phone with whoever, her conversation would spill over into my phone and I might be talking to, you know, somebody that I was dealing with that involved work. It wasn't personal. So it was just getting uglier and uglier as time went on. Um, You couldn't go in there and talk to him. You know, you'd get a smart answer, like, what do you want? You know, it just makes life that much harder. And when you're there at work, you spend a lot more time with those people than you, almost your own family. And in a sense, they're kind of like they're, they're your work family. Mm-hmm. And it was, just, it was just really, really ugly at work. There was a time where he had called me into his office and was yelling at me. You know, he started off calm and cool, and then his, his voice started carrying and carrying. And then he decided to tell me that my coworkers were complaining about me um, always on my cell phone. And that's when this light clicked in me, and I'm just, just like, hold on. <laughs> First of all, I know you're not telling me that those ladies in there are complaining about me being on my cell when they are on theirs as well. So I knew something was just not right. I was so upset. Um, I came out of there because, you know, his office is right there in front of everybody. So it's not like they didn't all know I got called in there. But once he left the office, I knew he was gone. You know, they were like, what happened? Are you okay? Because they could tell I was upset. And I told them, I I said, I'm going to ask you guys something and just be real. Did you guys complain to him that I was on my cell phone all the time and not doing my work? And they were like, what? We're on our cell phone too. Why would, why would it, we do that? I said, oh. I said, well, it sounds like he's trying to pit us against each other. You know, but this is some workplace bully stuff. The thing is, is like nobody wanted to say anything. Everybody was scared. I was too. But working in, in, um, in uh, the profession that I'm in, I'm a civilian. I'm not a sworn person. So we get dealt with a little bit differently, okay? And I think that the sworn people don't realize that. So me and one of the other girls, um, we just were like, you know what? This is BS. I'm tired of this crap. Tired of being treated this way. Like somebody needs to speak up. So her and I decided that we were going to grow a couple and we were going to go into his supervisor's office and complain and threaten her with we're getting the union in here because this is BS. 
that was such a hard, hard thing for me to do. Like I had never been in a situation where I was being tested big time because I wanted to blow up. (laughs) I was so mad being placed in that situation in the first place when I didn't deserve that. None of us did. And then, you know, my coworkers, they're all scared, you know, well, what's going to happen? What, you know, and, and uh, ultimately, like most of them, they cowered down and didn't want to say nothing. So me and this other girl, we went in there, we were scared or whatever, but, you know, at the time, um, his supervisor was making excuses for him. You know, he's under stress, he's, he's going through this, he's going through that. And I'm just like, well, so we don't have problems too at home? What does that have to do with being here? It doesn't mean you get to treat people however you want. That's not okay. So she ended up calling a, a meeting with all of us. And once again, the rest of the girls didn't want to say anything. They were keeping everything calm and cool. Well, the girl that went into the office with me, she spoke up. And then I was like, you know what? You know, what's the problem? So I had to come up with the words that I, the right words, um, instead of just cursing them out um, and complain about what my problems were with him. Once I let that off of me, man, I, I felt so much better and things did improve. You know, he changed his tune. He was Mr. Nice Guy after that point. You know, things changed. But man, before that happened, I mean, I don't know. We were losing it. I was, I was always sick, didn't want to be at work, going through it. And that went on for a long time, months and months and months. Mm-hmm. of dealing with him and then other people because he got he did get other people on board like they're they're the problem children we're grown adults but they're treating us like children you know watching every move we did it's a very busy place that i was at at that time that that particular location was the hubbub for everybody so people coming in off the street that needed help um, you're dealing with that. I was dealing with certain uh, other things as part of my duties that interrupted my main duty. So it looks like I'm not doing anything in a timely manner. But if you're constantly being interrupted with other things other than your main duty, it's hard to get your main duty done. That's just the way it is. Man, after that happened, he changed things. He was nice. Things calmed down. You know, and then we ended up getting a, a a new supervisor for us. And that was even better because he definitely took up for us all the time. He was like, you're not going to talk about them that they work hard up there. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that man so much. When I transferred to a new location, I told him, I'm like, man, thank you for making uh, my time here bearable. It's hard enough to work in this profession dealing with what you deal with from the outside world, let alone inside. Now you got to deal with this and you're always going to find somebody, right? Wherever you work, it's not cool. (laughs) They got to make problems. There's always that one person, if not more, but usually there's at least one. And that's just the way it goes. But having to go through that uh, time in my life was just really, really hard. I was stressed out. And like I was telling you, like I was calling off sick. I didn't want to be there. I did not want to be there. And, um, you know, it was unfortunate, but that really tested me uh, because I know um, I was ready to pop off. 
and I probably would have been um, sent home, you know, to think about things. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, you can't be at work popping off on supervisors and, and acting up like that. But it was, it was coming. So, you know, having dealt with that back then has definitely changed my perspective on things going forward. Um, even now, you know, I had an incident at work not that long ago where somebody acted up with me and I just, I was like, I'm not doing this again. I'm just not doing it with this person. So did I go to his supervisor? Yeah, I was basically snitching him off um, because I'm not going to put up with somebody's behavior. You cannot just talk to people however you want. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. You're not going to treat me that way. I've been through way too much. You have no idea. So I'm, I'm not doing that. So, you know, I went, talked to his supervisor. They pulled him into the office. He didn't like that. We don't talk. He don't talk to me. He'll say good morning. That's okay. It's calm and cool. When I have to deal with him, I email him a little nice little email, cordial, you know, and that's how we deal with each other. But that other stuff, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit back and let anybody um, do things like that with me. So that's my story. <laughs> during, during that time, what personal organisms or coping skills uh, did you employ during that time on a personal level? Self-control. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of self-control <sighs> in a strange way and that I didn't realize then that I do now about me. <sighs> I don't know about other um, victims of domestic violence, but for me, I basically trained myself to um, listen and understand versus just responding, listening to respond. Mm. Um, and it's mostly because back then I was, you know, getting my ass handed to me, like I said, you know, there would be a wrath coming if I said anything. So because of that situation back in the day, it kind of evolved, you know, differently in my uh, professional life at work. Mm -hmm. It kind of has, I think that that in a weird, strange, backward ass way um, has helped me in general because you know, one of my closest friends is like, I don't know how, how do you not just give it to him? And I'm like, you know what? I know how sharp my tongue is. Mm -hmm. I know, I know exactly what I could say to cut somebody up. And um, because I got trained so many years ago about being quiet, um, I think that has saved me. It has saved me. It has saved other people from from uh, probably getting an earful of some truth and some meanness behind it, too. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I've learned to, OK, I got to listen. I got to calm down, relax, think about this better. And then and then I'll respond, you know, versus just reacting to what's happening to me. So it's it's a weird like I said, it's a backward ass way. Um, that I deal with people, but that's, that's how I do things. That's what, how I am now, you know, it can't be helped. I've, I've been doing it for so long now. That's just the way it goes. And it's, it's the proper way to do things, I guess, but what a horrible way to learn how to do that. What I've learned in those situations is, is document documentation, right? The, you know, writing, uh, you know, the incidents that, that took place and, and what transpired. So 
mm-hmm. um, as they always say, if it ain't written, it didn't happen. So mm-hmm. I tr- in those situations, I, I dealing with coworkers and dealing with people at work, I always document, end up documenting, uh, you know, the incident and, and what transpired and, and what happened. Um, what about you, True. Jeff? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's a very, uh, the question you pose a very good question. Uh, and, uh, for me, uh, having over these last couple of weeks, uh, having conversations with some of my four players, um, and them just talking about, you know, their lives and you know, how much they've grown and matured and especially in, um, both our, um, you know, uh, coaching, um, you know, realms that we both been in. It's been uh, the question really for me bodes on um, my coaching. Um, there was a time uh, back then, times have changed where uh, the different shoe companies were, uh, you know, they were supporting specific high schools, especially if those schools had athletes that played in the major um, shoe company tournaments during the summer. And that also was a way for uh, student athletes to be kind of highlighted and or ranked throughout the country in terms of having the opportunity to be recruited. And so there was a time that a specific shoe company, uh, you know, supported our school. Uh, I would say we were probably in the fourth tier of sponsorship through many conversations of uh, different people in the city of uh, Los Angeles different coaches, different people that I talked to, they talked about what that uh, sponsorship entails and how it could easily go away when things aren't, when you're put in a position where your character is going to be tested on how you're going to handle how those specific entities are going to come at you. And in my situation, as I stated, we were kind of the fourth tier of sponsorship. So in other words, what that looked like would be a top tier school sponsorship. Their their program kids might receive up to 10 to 12 pairs of shoes and outfit it with every type of gear that you can imagine. And it'd be closet full of it. A, t- a, a tier four school might get a couple of shoes, some clothing for their varsity, maybe some for their junior varsity. And that's kind of the tier situation as it would go well being that at that time we were uh, in the program starting to have kids who were being uh, heralded in the top 100 in the senior class when they got there or in the junior class or sophomore class we had quite a few individuals on our team that were being able to uh, ascend to that level and so with that that's what of of course spurred on our sponsorship but then there was a time where in order to start moving up in that sponsorship tier, there were going to be things that a coach would have probably have to do that's different. And for me, what I learned that to be would be then I would have to be pretty much an illegal recruiter at my school. That means now I have to go outside of the realm, uh, the realm of uh, the rules of the organization that, that leads our state and start illegally recruiting kids because with that would then give me those different tiers of sponsorship. And one day I was 
eight years in, never, never had to sign anything, never had to be involved other than my team and the students that played on my team were considered high qualified athletes. So one fall, I look up, I get a letter in the mail, and it states that basically I would need to then attend some of these camps. And now I'm having to sign a contract. And I chose not to sign that contract. And the reason why I chose not to sign that contract is because in building the program, I always wanted to do it the right way. I never wanted to put myself in a situation where I'm going to get called on the carpet for something that I've done illegally or that represented my character in a way that would have people looking at me different. And so once I chose not to sign that contract, that sponsorship went away. And so when it went away, it pretty much, it pretty much gave me the insight that people had talked to me about before that it would go away. And when that situation arises with a lot of coaches, they're put in a situation where their character is on the line. Either they're going to do it or they're not going to do it. And in most cases, a lot of coaches want to do it because they don't know if their program is ever going to survive the same way. And in making that choice that I made, the program continued to survive. It actually had more kids go to college than it did before the sponsorship. So in my mind, I felt like I made the right decision. And, you know, as I stated at the beginning, speaking to a lot of my former athletes, they really appreciated the honesty that my that that our coaching staff had with them. They didn't always agree with the decisions we made, but they knew in the long run it was the most important uh, decision that we made because we held them to the same honesty and character uh, that we held ourselves to. So to get that feedback from guys now in their 40s and, you know, late 30s, that that's, that's something that they understand now that they're being men and are mature and have families, it, it, it says a lot to making that decision. It was a tough decision, but, you know, like any decision, if you got to make the changes, like you say, Chris, if you got to document, if you have to do certain things to bring about change, mm-hmm. like you said, you got to then fight the people in the office and tell someone that, you know, these are things that are going on and it makes the place very difficult to come to. It's a decision you got to make. And so with that, right. you know, I don't, I don't steer off that decision. And then having an opportunity to admit coaches today, I, I tell them that. And I know it's a very difficult decision, especially young. I was in my mid-30s when I made that decision. A lot of these guys that are coaching that I'm mentoring now in their in their 20s, their early 30s, and they got to make that decision. So I think that was the biggest thing. That was one of the biggest things that I, you know, I think uh, you know, I had to deal with in terms of character because that was a 30-year 30 30-year 30 coaching uh, thing that, that involved that. It was the majority of my life. For me, going through the divorce process was tough. 
moving your clothes, your valuables, and your keepsakes out of your house and transitioning into an apartment tested my character. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave. But I felt I had to in order for everyone to begin the healing process. Saying goodbye to your kids was tough. Handing over the keys to the house, the garage door opener, the code to the ring camera was hard. But I think the hardest part was saying goodbye to my son. He was the only person at the house at the time I left. I held him tight. I cried. He cried. Um, it, it, it was a very emotional moment for both of us. But it tested your, your character and my character and how you respond to certain things. I mean, some people, they just blow up. They lose their mind. They just start tearing stuff up, tearing stuff around the house. I didn't do that. I just chose, I chose to live peacefully, to leave peacefully and leave quietly, to show some restraint and to show some self-control. Describe an uncomfortable moment where things got so hard that you had to give up or walk away. Man, I can, this was a tough one. It was our, it was our senior year. I did all the necessary uh, things to fulfill, you know, our credits and everything. And in my, you know, my profession of physical education, I had a lot of field work classes that I needed to get done. But our department head was a guy that had been known to be very sexist towards women, um, uh, was known to have made some comments that came off very racial to people in our class um, and even the lower level classes. And when I had to go in and discuss, you know, the completion of my uh, of my coursework for graduation, this particular uh, professor tried to say he didn't have my paperwork, tried to say that I didn't fulfill any of my commitments, and then made the comment, what are you going to become, a janitor? Wow. You know, I was married, had a, had a kid on the way, and to make that statement when I'm a college student, really push my button and I think he was pushing my button for me to overreact then do something that would kill my graduation and maybe put me in a situation where I get arrested what I believe saved me was he had another professor in the room that I believe he thought that was the same color as him was going to agree with how he was approaching me. And literally, I wanted to jump over that table and, and put my hand around his neck because I felt he had, he had definitely just embarrassed me and just made me feel as low as possible. And a lot of thoughts went through my head. Like, you know, you know especially having a family that, that came from the South that had to endure a lot of racial prejudice and, and all these different things. I had never had anyone speak like that directly to me, but the other person in the room said 
he needed to leave because he did not feel comfortable with what was going on here. And when he said that, that gave me like a confidence to get up and walk out of that room too. Mm. Because like I said, probably two minutes before that, I was ready to take flight. And it took everything, but having him in that room and him saying he, and it was another white male that's basically saying, I don't agree with you. And so I'm going to leave this room. And when he said that, I felt that gave me the confidence to say, I need to leave this room too. And not allow myself to get engaged in this. Because normally, as I tell a lot of my students, emotions out of control is what got a lot of people locked up. True. About to be in that situation. And so, you know, I, I thank God every day that I made that choice, but it almost took me over the top. It really did. Santana, how about you? There's two situations and I was trying to decide which one I was going to talk about. I'll talk about, I'll talk about when I left uh, my first baby daddy. I literally snuck out. He was somewhere, I don't remember where he was at, but I gathered clothing, mine and my children's. I don't even remember how I got over to my sister's house, but I got to my sister's. That was step one. Creeping out of there when he wasn't around, because when you're with somebody like him, um, they're very controlling and they, they know your every move. They know where you're at at all times of the day. So it's not an easy task to do. And I, like I said, I can't even remember where it was he was at, but I knew he'd be gone. As soon as he was gone, I was in there grabbing what I could. I did not care about furniture, those material, other things, except my kids' clothes and my clothes. So I had to pack up two kids and me. And we made it over to my sister's. And he knew where my sister lived, but you know, I think there was a good week. I want to say it was at least a week that I stayed at my sister's and he was constantly trying to win me back. You know, all of a sudden I was getting flowers. I hadn't got a flower from him in who knows how long. This is somebody I was with for eight years out of high school. Um, you know, and, and all those eight years I was being abused. So um, it was a very, very scary um difficult time for me stressful to say the least very stressed out um i knew that i was going to be taking it a step further by leaving um my sister's house and going into hiding for a period of time to get away from him because he would not leave me alone and i knew that i was not going back there's no way in all the all that giving me flowers and kissing my ass thing was a uh, constant thing that goes on between um, your, you and your abuser. There's a honeymoon stage all the time. You know, you, you're all in love and everything's great. They're doing all the right things. And then, boom, something happens, something's triggered, and now you're back to the mean, abusive person. So... Um, I would say at least a good week at my sister's before I said, okay, we're, we're leaving. So we left. Um, we left 
during the night or early morning and um, drove to my new location, which was further in uh, Northern California at my aunt's house. And he had no idea where my aunt lived in Northern California. So I knew he wasn't going to be able to find me. Definitely nobody in my family was going to tell him where I was, give him an address or anything. So I had no communication with him um, for a while. I mean, I was living up there for a few months before I decided to come back and and uh, move forward and, and finish dealing with what I had to deal with, um, you know, child custody and things of that nature. Uh-huh. But that walking away was one of the hardest times of my life. That was a huge thing that happened, a huge milestone for me standing up for myself. You know, and, and the thing is, is like, you know, I've talked about other things that have happened because, you know, it didn't it didn't end there. It ended there with him, I guess, in a way. I mean, I you know, I think there was a good six years of dealing with a bunch of crap from him um, and my kids, you know. But in the meantime, I was I had a new partner and now I was going into a whole new um, pile of stuff that I had no idea was going to happen to me. Um, but that's what happens when you don't heal from that broken relationship. You don't take the time to heal and do the work so that you're better, so that you don't take that stuff into your new relationship. So that was the mistake that I made. But, but just getting myself out of that situation was a huge just burden lifted off of me. The stress of feeling like, you know, How's he going to be when he gets home every single day? What version of him was I going to get, the nice one or the one that's mad at something? It didn't have anything to do with me. So um, standing up to that and and leaving and walking away when I knew, like, this is it. It's not going to ever change. Things are not going to work out. I'm I'm not in love anymore. I'm just staying here because I'm scared. It was a huge thing for me to just say, okay. This is it. This is it. Enough is enough. Eight years of abuse. It was way too long. I should have never stayed that long. But, you know, it is what it is. It, that was my first, like, big, big thing where I had to, I had to let go and just walk away because things were not going to change unless I did something drastic. And that was, that was it. So that's that's my story. <laughs> well, for me, uh, my second serious relationship was toxic. Uh, I had a girlfriend that cheated on me numerous of times. Um, dealing with her was wasn't always easy. Getting suspended from college for a semester based on the fact that I saw a hickey on her neck and threw her to the ground and kicked her in the stomach hanging on the hood of her car because I saw her with another dude and jumped on the hood of her car. She was driving around, you know, swerving in the parking lot, trying to throw me off. A restraining order that was issued against me. And I think the most pivotal moment was walking into a gun store looking to purchase a handgun. And the purpose of that handgun was going to either end my misery or her life. 
being deeply in love with her was detrimental to my well-being and her well-being as well. I had to come to my senses. I had to walk away and leave her the hell alone. And then later on, you know, she 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 had her ways of trying to manipulate me, trying to get me back. I remember she told me that she was pregnant. I was like, we ain't been together in months. How can you be pregnant? And tried to blame a baby on me that ended up being, uh, she ended up getting pregnant by some random dude that me and Jeff know. So that was, I just had to walk away. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just felt that uh, my life was going to end tragically in some way, shape, or form. The next question is, are you mentally strong? Are you mentally tough? Santana? Mentally strong, mentally tough. Um, I would say for the most part I am. It depends on the situation and who's involved, I feel. Um, Getting to this place in my life at this age, I definitely am at this place where I'm not going to be putting up with no one's crap. Mm -hmm. And I probably care less, significantly less about what people think of me. So, you know, mentally, I think a a lot of people do this. They get older. I always used to wonder why old people were so mean. You know, you, you come across an elderly person and they're just, you know, just angry. Just they didn't care what they said. You know, and I would always be like, God, you know, what the heck? But now, you know, getting to this place myself, not elderly, but older, more mature, you know, I, I, I see. I get it. You know, I definitely care less about what people think of me. They're, they're not over here paying my bills. They're not enhancing my life. So why would I care what you think of me? I'm, I'm going to do what, what I'm going to do, whatever makes me happy. Um, you know, when it comes to your family and things of that nature, um, I think that, um, you know, how mentally tough you are, that's, it's, it gets, it can be kind of rough. It can, when you're, um, when there's something that happens in your family, you kind of, I, I know I've had to sit here and be like, okay, I gotta, I gotta let go, let go, let God. <laughs> and, yeah. and just. And just let things go because you can't make people, anybody, family or not, see what's going on, you know, and everybody does things differently. You can't change people. And you have to come to that realization way before anyway. You should, you should come to that realization. You cannot change people. You know, you can only hope that whatever it is that happened um, and, and you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, maybe they'll think, maybe they'll think about it. Maybe they'll think about what you said and, um, it'll change the, the circumstances. But if it doesn't, you know, how are you preparing yourself? And I've had to do that. Like I've had to just go, okay, you know what? Family members we're going through some stuff and, um, I can love you from here. I don't, doesn't mean I don't love you anymore, but I got to love you where you are in your life and and let it go and that is so hard to do it's so hard to do when it's your your close immediate family had to do that this year so yeah mentally strong i definitely feel like i'm mentally um strong and capable of dealing with things and i'm that sure that's come from experience and just maturity with life 
course, things that go on, you know, do you learn the lesson? Mm-hmm. I've learned, I've had a lot of lessons thrown my way. Yeah. And if you don't learn from them, you're going to continue to get them until you change that, right? right. So you mature your, your way of thinking. So some people can never be mentally strong. There's just people out there that just can't handle things. And maybe they need some other kind of help, medication or support group, whatever the case may be, you need to seek that. You know, and I'm I'm lucky enough to, to say that I have very supportive people, my friends that I've known for a long time that are there for me that I know, you know what, if I'm if I'm um going through something. Um, I I usually know the answer, but sometimes you need to vent and let it out. You just do. You need to talk about it, get it off, get it off of you. At least that's what I do. I I talk about it. Um, I know pretty know pretty much know what the answer is, but I have to let it out and then I move on. You know, and that's that. What I was saying, let go, let God. I got to leave people where they are, and love them from here, and that's it. It's just it's a hard thing to do, but you have to do it for your own mental health. You just have to. Hard, hard, hard to do, but the lessons, the lessons are there. Learn them, and and um, take from it, and and uh, you know, move on. Jeff, I would say for me, uh, you know, becoming uh, more mentally, uh, mentally uh, stronger has to do with my faith, my faith in God. Uh, it has been also getting around, uh, you, you got to change up who you are around mm-hmm. understand or are willing to make those changes in their lives for the better. Uh, so for me, as Santana was mentioning, it, it's been guys at my church, different guys that I, you know, that, uh, that I'm with. It's been this podcast, how we broken down all the different things that we've gone through to try to help other people see it and hopefully give them, you know, a light into how they can improve it, how they could do better, how they can, you know, seek the help that they need. That is what's been a uh, driving force behind me getting me- uh, mentally stronger in areas where I've been weak. And then I always, and when you're around people like that, you pick up on little things. So Santana says it best that I have definitely put it in my little treasure chest. And that is, are you listening to respond? Are you listening to comprehend? <laughs> and I take little thing tidbits that help me. It's like my grandmother would say, I always remember an adult's nothing but a child in a grown up body. And if you put that in your mind, and that goes back to what Santana is saying, that now older folks don't care what you think. Those yeah. Fired and mentally gotten stronger and understand that you don't have control over things. You don't. You have control over your actions and how you do them, but you have no control over what other people are going to do. Take that equation out of it. You become mentally more stronger in how you look at things. And I'm, I'm also in agreement with what you said about when it's close to you with family. Yeah, it makes it difficult. But you're mentally stronger because you can offer wisdom if they're willing to take it and to also give them wisdom to say you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Though I'm giving you this wisdom, you need to look at it for what it, what it is and think about it, pray about it, and then make a decision. 
And so I think that's where it comes in. But you definitely have to get around. You got to change up who you you around. Yep. Because if you yep. don't, that goes back to what my grandmother said. That's why we see people in their 60s, 70s, still acting like they in their 20s. Mm. And they have gotten, they haven't matured and got mentally focused on those things and they living them out. I mean, it's okay for us to have fun, joke, and laugh, but we also know there's a time for it, there's a place for it, and we know when it's not the time or the place for it. And there's a difference. And so, yeah, I think I've gotten, you know, mentally stronger. You know, uh, again, our flesh is weak. It still wants to do what it wants to do, but you got to let God handle it. And so that's that's kind of how I, I think I've uh, matured and got more mentally strong. Well, for me, it's a little different. Football. Playing football was was a very important part of my life. It taught me courage, resiliency, fortitude, competitiveness, fearlessness, and mental toughness. A mental toughness that I carry with me every day. Uh, football has made me Teflon strong. During times of despair and uncertainty, I never quit when I was denied a promotion, a raise, or a job that I wanted. I never quit those lessons of football, playing football, the pain, you know, getting knocked down, getting back up. I carry those things with me still. Quitting reflects your character. That's how I feel about it. I think it reflects who you are as a person when you quit things, when you don't finish things. Uh, it's a character flaw that yields no benefits or rewards. Uh, so that's how I finish. You start what you finish. You finish what you start. Show good character, be accountable, be loyal, value commitment, be willing to sacrifice and accept outcomes uh, and develop good habits and never, never quit. Teflon strong. That's me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate your thoughts and feedback. For any comments, for any questions, you can reach out to us at walkingwithpurposepodcast at gmail.com. Here's the lovely Santana with today's words of wisdom. I basically have two things uh, to say. One, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. The other thing is, is maturity is when you have the power to destroy someone who did you wrong, but instead you breathe, walk away, and let life take care of them. If you won't stand with me, if you won't go with me,